welcome to Life-Giving Water Messages, where I expound upon the Word of God and, through the internet, deliver it to you. My name is Reverend Todd Laddick, and I'm bringing to you part three of a six-part uh, series entitled uh, The Matrix, with today's message ba uh, entitled specifically The Oracle, based off of Psalm chapter 119, verses 104 through 112. So let us dive into the Word today. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. I have suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. My life constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from your commandments. Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. Amen. Yeah. I'd ask you to sit down, but you're not going to anyway. And don't worry about the vase. What vase? That vase. I'm sorry. I said don't worry about it. I'll get one of my kids to fix it. How did you know? Oh, what's really going to bake your noodle later on is... Would you still have broken it if I hadn't said anything? While the world tries to sell us a bill of goods when it comes to our identity and morality, the Bible is our primary source of divine and eternal truth, our identity and our purpose. In the first part of the series, we learned of a person named John Anderson, who is a software engineer by day and a black market hacker by night. Um, one evening, he wakes up to notice words typing on his green monochrome screen. Wake up, Neo. The Matrix has you. The per computer proceeds to give him instructions that lead him to a legendary hacker named Morpheus who has been warning fellow hackers of the Matrix for years. And Neo, John, Ac John Anderson's hacker name, is told by Morpheus that all of the visible physical world is fake, that it is nothing more than a computer software simulator that is plugged into the back of our heads. Ouch. Why? So that, we, so that as we dream our realities, our bodies are producing energy for the machines uh, to run uh, by, you know, which are run by artific artificial intelligence, which is creepy as heck. We also learned that for us, the Matrix, you know, in the real world, the Matrix is the current world order in, and all of its ways, that we are living our lives according to this world order. When in reality, we are just slaves to a system that is going to go down in the end. A system that keeps us from truly knowing and following God. What's more, everything the world gives us is nothing more than an illusion. Especially the illusion that we are in control. Last week, we learned that 
outside of Jesus Christ, there is no spoon. If any of this isn't making sense, by the way, go back and watch the previous sermons on YouTube. But last weekend, we learned outside of Jesus Christ, there is no spoon. That outside of Jesus Christ, there nothing else is real for us but Jesus Christ. That is our ultimate reality. <clears throat> So after his experience with the boy in the living room, which we talked about last week, uh, of the apartment of the Oracle, after realizing that there is no spoon, Neo is brought in to speak with the Oracle to find out if he indeed is the one. Okay, I have to pause here to bring you up to speed on some details that I have intentionally left out up until now because I felt they might be distracting to the broader point. When the movie opens up, we see the data raining down character by character, and we hear chatter, as I said. And the chatter is actually between two characters, Cypher and Trinity. Now, you heard that right. Her name is Trinity. Keep that in mind. Now, Cypher was asking her if she really thought he, Neo, was the one. Um, and Trinity answered him, it doesn't matter what I believe. You don't, do you? Cypher quick back. Did you hear that? What? Are you sure the line is clean? Trinity inquired. Yes, the line's clean. From there, skipping over a few details, we eventually come to the blank screen with the blinking cursor. And we see the words... Wake up, Neo. The Matrix has you. Those words are actually being typed by Trinity, who we heard in the chatter. The one who tells him to follow the white rabbit. And when he follows the girl with the white rabbit tattoo to the club, it is Trinity he meets and who introduces him to Morpheus. So right from the beginning, Neo is being told by Morpheus that he is the one meaning he is the savior he and others, Morpheus and others, have been waiting for, the savior prophesied about by this oracle, I guess, who would be able to not only expose the matrix for what it is, but he would have also have complete power over it, to destroy it and bring the world back to peace and order, to restore life and and destroy the death that the machines wrought upon the earth and humanity. In this series, and it's done intentionally to some degree, it, well, it's done intentionally. It's totally done intentionally. In this series, you can pretty much equate Morpheus to God, Neo to Jesus Christ, and uh, Trinity, uh, the Holy Spirit. And as it were, Cypher, who was just minute, mentioned a minute go, ago, goes on to be the Judas character in the group. But they don't truly and fully fit with Christian theology because, as I've said before, the Wachowskis are not trying to write a Christian story, but a story that employs religions such as Christianity in a way that grounds it in spirituality and philosophy, and to do so makes it inherently a human story, one that connects to our very souls, which is what keeps us intrigued in this, 
rather than running away going, this is confusing what's going on, this makes no sense. It, it, we connect to the story in such a personal way that it becomes a part of our story almost as we're watching it. And so that's the brilliance of it. But I will say this. If you really want to get a full effect of what the movie is like and to see the movie and to see it without you know the discussion on the theology, but to see it for what it is, uh, we are actually going to show that movie on uh, September 11th. So if you live in the area, First United Methodist Church of Newton, uh, it's free of charge. It's just a part of you know you listening to this on Sundays in church. So if you live in the Newton area and you're listening to this and you want to come on September 11th uh, to worship in person with us, uh, right following the service, there'll be a, a little standing room for standing break. But we will uh, watch the we will watch uh, the Matrix uh, to conclude the the worship series. So I hope uh, people will join that. Anyway, back to this. The Wachowskis again are not trying to write a Christian story, but we can also relate. You know, and and, and we do relate to the characters in very in a very human way. But we can also relate to those characters in other ways. We can see. Um, we can see Morpheus and Neo especially and Trinity in ourselves. So back to, to Neo at the oracles, he's invited to speak with her and she impresses him uh, with a prediction that comes true. And, and she really does. She, she, um, she impresses him with a, a prediction that, that comes, that comes very true. And uh, she tells him basically to watch the vase, and, and you heard it at the beginning of this. What vase? Neo turns in questions, only to knock a vase over and break it. What will you really, what will really bake your noodle later, the oracle proceeds, is whether or not you would have broken the vase if I hadn't said anything. The oracle sits down and looks up at Neo. You know why Morpheus brought you here? Neo nodded that he knew. Then let me ask you, what do you think? Do you think you are the one? The oracle asked. Neo, looking confused and distraught, answered, Honestly, I, I don't know. Pointing to a sign above Neo, a sign that read, uh, Temet Noste. The oracle asked Neo, do you know what that means? It means know yourself. Let me tell you a little secret, she went on. Being the one is a lot like being in love. No one can tell you that you are. You just know it. Through and through, balls to bone. The oracle, or balls to bones, excuse me. The oracle then got up and inspected him like a doctor would. She then said, this is the part where I'm supposed to say, ah, that's interesting, but, and you'll ask, the oracle paused, but what, Neo asked, but you already know what I'm about to tell you, she paused again, I'm not the one. Sorry, kid, the oracle said, you've got the gift, but it looks like you're waiting for something. What? Neo inquired. Your next life, maybe. Who knows? It's the way these things go. Neo then laughed and brought up how Morpheus almost had him convinced. I know, agreed the oracle. <clears throat> Without him, we're lost. 
From there, the Oracle shares that Morpheus believes Neo so much that Neo is the one that he is willing to sacrifice his life to prove it. That, in fact, he will be sacrificing his life very shortly. Those gears have been set into motion. These words from the Oracle change the course of the rest of the film. I mean, just as in the same way Scripture really changes the course of our lives by pointing us in the right direction. Now, you may be wondering, gee, what direction did the Oracle really send Neo in? And that's a very good question, because on the surface, she seemed to contradict everything he was told about himself, everything she had evidently told others, <clears throat> because Neo was told by her, you find out later, that he would be the one to find the one. And Trinity is told that she'd be the one to fall in love with the one. So she's being, she's telling these people all different things, and, and everything she seems to tell him contradicts him, makes him even more confused and unconfident in himself. Yet I would answer that the Oracle did set a course for him, one of soul-searching, of growth, of community, of understanding, and of action. And the Bible does the very same thing for us, and ultimately is our Oracle, our primary source of divine and eternal truth and purpose. It is sufficient for salvation for leading us to salvation, I should say. The Bible tells us who we are, in whom we belong, and how to avoid the tricky, sticky path of sin and death. It sends us on a course of soul-searching, of growth, of connecting with community, and of wisdom or understanding and action. Today's scripture comes from a much larger much larger um, psalm. In fact, Psalm 119 is 176 verses in length. And it is, a, it is impressive, but imposing and even intimidating because of its length. One scholar, one scholar, uh, Klaus uh, Westerman, said, once said, uh, if a person succeeds in reading this, Psalms, 176 verses, one after the other, um, at one sitting, the effect is overwhelming. Indeed, indeed, the effect is overwhelming. That is what, the, that is exactly what the psalmist intends. The psalmist intends for it to be overwhelming. Because for this psalmist, the importance of God is God's instruction. Or excuse me, the importance of God's instruction is overwhelming. It can't be stressed enough. I'll say that again. The importance of God's instruction is overwhelming to the psalmist. It cannot be stressed enough. That's why he's so repetitive. In fact, the repetition throughout the whole of the psalm and whatnot points this psalm possibly points this psalm possibly being written to serve as a sort of inducement for the revelation and insight it pleads for. <clears throat> In the verses we looked at today, the psalmist is reminding us that God's revelation found in Scripture is truly reliable, is, true, is the truly reliable guide to life. In verse 105, the psalmist writes his most famous line of the song, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet 
or excuse me, thy, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Or as it was translated in the New Living Translation, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Despite all that is going on to the person writing this, he is vowing to never lose sight of God's laws and regulations. In fact, the more under attack he feels, the more pressured to abandon God and follow the world, the more he clings to God's instructions even more. He sees scripture, including the laws of the Torah, to be his treasure, his heart's delight. And he is hell-bent, an odd expression in this case, I know, on keeping God's decrees to the very end. For this psalmist, the overwhelming urgency to read, study, and follow the instructions of God, as found in the Holy Bible, is front and center. There is no room for slacking off or compromise here. The Bible, Scripture, the heart of God's laws as found in the Ten Commandments and in Jesus' summation of loving God and loving neighbor as being the two greatest commandments, it is that which we should treasure over the way of the world because the Holy Bible is sufficient to lead us to Jesus, to salvation, and to the kingdom of heaven. But notice something. Nowhere in this verse does it promise that by reading, knowing, and following God's holy word, we will, will mean that, we will be, that it will be easier, that we will have all the answers. In fact, the truth is, just as it was for Neo meeting the oracle and heeding her words, Scripture often leads us to more questions long before we start to have any answers. The point of reading and studying the Bible is not to become a Christian know-it-all, and given all the answers, but so that we can be led to the one who has all the answers. Amen? It's important, just as it was for Neo to consult uh, the oracle, just as it was for him to consult the oracle, it's important for us to consult our oracle, our holy Bible, which points us to God through Jesus Christ. Just as in the matrix, God is God and the Holy Spirit are working in and through us to craft us more and more into the image of God as perfectly expressed and embodied in Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. Just as in the matrix, God and the Holy Spirit are working in and through us to craft us more and more into the image of God as perfectly expressed and embodied in Jesus Christ. Remember, Neo was not given answers by the oracle, and he was never told by the oracle whether he was or wasn't the one. She simply asked him what he knew she would... She simply asked him what he, quote-unquote, knew she would say. And he determined it was that he wasn't the one. He thought he knew what her answer was, she didn't give him an answer. He gave the answer. She only confirmed that while he had the talents, he was waiting for something. Perhaps the next life. And I want you to hold on to that, that piece of uh, words there, those four words. Perhaps the next life. That will come up again, I promise you. She says to him that, you know, 
he has talents, but you know he's waiting for something, perhaps the next life. In other words, Neo was in a place where he could, where he couldn't truly see who he was or what his potential was. He was waiting for all the signs when the signs were right in front of him, all around him, and within him. Like Neo, you too will not be given all the answers. Nor will you be told who you are in the grand scheme of God's plan for your discipleship. You will simply be pointed to becoming a disciple and shown the way to the kingdom of heaven. How you get there and what purpose you find along the way is between you, God, and your Christian community. Again, that's between you, God, and your Christian community, which supports you in your, in your, uh, your Christian walk. For us, as the Christian church, how do we better point people to the Bible so that they too can begin their journey of soul-searching, connecting with God and with others in the context of a Christian community? For starters, we, can, we cannot teach what we do not know. I mean, that's, if we don't know it, we can't teach it, right? That doesn't mean if you have no experience teaching the Bible, you can't teach it. Um, what it means is if you're going to teach the Bible, you have to start reading it. You have to know what it says. And that can, anyone can do that, but you have to be willing to engage the Bible. If we are not engaging in the Bible ourselves, then we, are too, we too are lost as to the eternal overwhelming importance of it. Friends, the first thing we as Christians need to do is to start studying the Bible. We have a tremendously strong Christian education program here at our church where you can learn, grow, and eventually lead. And I've seen that happen. You can also start your own study, perhaps one focused on being women of faith or focused on being men of faith or focused on any endless host of things. What are your interests and how can you bring the Bible into it? You've got to study. Second, we need to invite others to join us, to speak of the Bible with knowledge and passion, not overzealousness, but with knowledge and passion, leading them to an interest in it. As we heard from, as our congregation anyway, heard this past week from John Glandek uh, of the Sussex camp of uh, the Gideons International, the Bible has the power to transform lives, literally. Pointing the lost to Jesus Christ, who is the one. Amen? Amen. Let us begin to make the Bible a part of our daily practice. In fact, I expect to see an increase in Bible study attendance this year. <laughs> Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we just thank you and praise you for this message because it, it is, Lord, yes, it's challenging, but it also is hopeful because this doesn't all rest on us. It rests on you. We're not seeking all the answers. We're seeking you who have all, you have all the answers, Lord. And you don't reveal all the answers to us because you, you only reveal what we need to know, what is important to us. But we do trust, Lord, that you are leading us from where we are to where you have created us to be. And we ask you to embolden us and to spark that passion with us so we can invite others along the way. In all of these things, Lord, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, uh, a little lengthier than normal, but not bad, given that, uh, you know, uh, there's a whole series recap in there. 
I'm glad that you joined and tuned into this and listened to it. I hope you get as much out of it as I do uh, delivering it and writing it. And, uh, you know, check out those episode notes if you can. And this is, you know, if you can give, great. Uh, if you attend somewhere else and this is supplemental, uh, by all means, give to your church. But if you can give to both of us, that would be very helpful to both of our ministries in serving the same Lord. So uh, with all of that said, uh, again, uh, remember that you are richly blessed so that you may be a blessing to others. Go in peace. Mm-hmm.